Gun Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Rock Collection by Pond. First listen, it's kind of disorienting. This band reminded me a lot of little bits and pieces of other bands. That's at times brilliant and at other times, you know, it makes your head spin a little bit. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are in episode 105 of Dig Me Out. It's the uh, third season, and we are on requested review number two of our third season. Requested, requested review. Jay, Pond is the request. Let me ask you, familiar with Pond? No, well, no, but the uh, the album cover looks really familiar. You know, the name sort of was like, okay, yeah, sounds like a 90s band uh, name. I'm sure I heard it before, but uh, when I saw the album cover, it really looks very familiar. I'm not sure why. I must have seen it in ads or at the record store or something. I'm with you there. I, it also looked familiar. So David Weisberg is the gentleman who requested this particular album. And I need to do some apologizing Mr. Weisberg, because when we put up the, or when I, I'm not going to say we, when I put up the uh, Friday preview for this particular album on our Facebook page, you know, I like to link to the band's Facebook page if they have one. And you know what you do? You, you type the at sign and then you type their name and it usually just autofills the names there. And, it, and I typed at Pond and it showed up Pond and then in parentheses like musician band afterwards. I was like, oh, that must be Pond. And then I linked to a song. We're doing the album Rock Collection. I found the song Rock Collection on YouTube, and I said, okay, well, this will be good uh, to put on the uh, on the YouTube page. Turns out both of those things were wrong. <laughs> How about that? Turns out that Rock Collection, although this is the name of the album, not on this particular album. Sort of like Led yeah. Zeppelin and Houses of the Holy. Not on Houses of the Holy. It's on Physical Graffiti. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then also uh, Pond, the band on on uh, Facebook, not the pond that we are reviewing. That's an Australian band called pond. Right. I mean, what are the chances there's two bands called pond? (laughs) Oh, Tim. So in the future, I will be having the intern do all of that because I'm apparently not trustworthy when it comes to, this work isn't easy. It's not easy. It takes more than 30 seconds. I'm learning. Usually I just do it in like 30 (laughs) seconds. So I was, uh, Jay, like you, I, I kind of remember the album cover, but no recollection. Actually, I, re- I think I remember the album cover more so for the debut album, which we're going to get into. Uh, yeah, that one was to look familiar, too. Yeah. Um, the, the second one album I had, that didn't look familiar to me at all, but these two album covers looked very familiar. For our requested review, Pond, we have Rock Collection. Let's do the history of the band. History of the band. So Pond formed in Portland, Oregon in 1991 by Charlie Campbell on guitar and vocals, Chris Brady on bass and vocals, and David Trebweiser on drums. They released a single and an EP before they signed to Sub Pop, and in 1993 they released their Debut self-titled album on Sub Pop. Two years later, they released the album The Practice of Joy Before Death, 
also on Sub Pop. They left Sub Pop and signed to the Sony label The Work Group and released their third and final record, Rock Collection, in 1997. The following year, the band broke up. That's all about Pond. That's all I got. So, if you would like to request a band for us to review or an album for us to review, visit the request review page over at digmeoutpodcast.com. Other than Dave's admonishment of my errors, we did not get any Facebook feedback. We got some some likes, but no feedback. So, Jay, we're just going to jump right into the review of uh, Pond and their 1997 album, Rock Collection. I want to point out, we have done a bunch of records from 97 this year. The Symposium record, 1997. Pusher Man, 1997. Something's going on. What's going on with that? Something's going on. I'm not quite sure. Must be must be a interesting year for music because a lot of people are suggesting albums from that year, and, and I've picked an album that year. So Jay, Pond, Rock Collection, Simple. Did this collection rock you? <laughs> uh, you know what? That would be making. No, it, there's nothing simple about this this album, and I'm not quite sure. If uh, you know, just using the term rock, it, it, it's uh, that would be the least simple definition of the term rock uh, to define this record. Uh, it, it's challenging when you first listen to it. The guitar, this is a three piece, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's the guitar and the bass, although it sounds like two guitars at times. Uh, do a lot of atonal, sort of dissonant stuff. Um, so at you know first listen, it's kind of disorienting. Now it does it kind of starts off with the first track, kind of warms you up to the idea of what's going to happen on the rest of the record, which is quite a bit. Um, it's a little bit more rhythm driven, a little bit more vocal driven. But by the time you get the scoliosis, track three, even track two, you're not an astronaut. You start to hear that come through and then on scoli by the time you get to scoliosis they combine that with some really really bombastic you know dynamics and you know riffs and stuff and at that point it i wasn't quite sure what to make of it until until i got to that song and then it really started to click for me doesn't kind of keep that up it kind of goes up and down a little bit in terms of roller coaster ride but you know by by three or four songs in i start to get more a little bit more accustomed to you know the sound of the what they're doing uh, in terms of the uh 
the notes they're playing, the more you listen to the record, the more the, the kind of easier it goes down. You can start to appreciate it a lot more and you can understand the songs a little bit better. Um, you know, a song like Scoliosis, which is one of my favorites. I love the verses mm-hmm. um, and these you know, this great riff and these great dynamics. And But when it gets to the chorus, it kind of at first was a letdown. Like it didn't quite pay off as much as I wished it would. But as I listen to the record more, um, you know, I, it's one of those things where you sort of, it's kind of disorienting. So when you get to the song, you get to the chorus, you kind of kind of orient yourself, like what's going on and what should I be paying attention to? The more you listen to the record, the easier that becomes. That makes sense. That makes sense. And the thing that's in, interesting is like, and, and maybe you can fill me in on this. There's a bass on this whole record, but it's really hard to tell. I mean, it sounds like t- sometimes the bass almost sounds like a guitar. And then there's a couple times I made notes like, is there even a bass on the song? And it's just a very sort of unconventional approach to to guitar and, and bass and, and those playing together and the dynamic that those two instruments. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the record. I think there's a lot here to absorb. There's a lot of songs. We're talking 16 song album. Um, none of the songs are particularly long, but it's just the they're pushing the idea of, of melody uh, quite a bit and they're it's 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 challenging on on a couple of different levels so um there's a lot here here to absorb well let me ask you this what did you think of the two vocalists <sighs> well <laughs> i did i mean i i know that there's a couple songs they do harmonies which was kind of nice um i didn't well, they- get are you saying that the, there's some songs that one guy sings and some songs another guy yeah, sings? Yeah, it's, it's split almost evenly between Chris Brady singing the lead and Charlie Campbell singing the lead. I can't tell the difference between their voices very much. Interesting. Um, even when they do the harmony, it could almost be confused as just one person doing it. I, I thought they were really similar. See, now, I, to me, it, it was once I realized who was singing on which song, mm. it became really apparent because Charlie Campbell, who sings the songs like... You're not an astronaut and twins. Uh, you're not a seed. My dog is an astronaut, though. Rebury me, ugly. Charlie Campbell sings those. Chris Brady sings the other ones. He, his vocal reminded me a little bit of um, Doug Marsh from Built to Spill and a little bit of, I'm blanking on his name, but not uh, Elliot Smith from Heat Miser, the other guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember the name. I forgot. I know you're I forgot his name already. We just did that yeah. album a couple weeks ago, basically. Kind of Lou, Lou Barlow. Yeah, a little Lou Barlow-esque, more so in the Doug Marsh vein. And Built yeah. to Spill, I think, is a, is a nice comparison because I think a lot of the guitar stuff reminds me of the first couple Built to Spill records. Not when they got into like 15-minute long songs and jams yeah. and stuff like that, but the more condensed Built to Spill. I'm thinking of like, I think it's There Is Nothing Wrong With Love or, some, or those particular albums. And I, I like that when... Chris Brady, who's the bass player, uh, is taking the lead. Those are the songs where Charlie Campbell really steps up on the guitar. So we, when you look at like a song like Spokes, there's that really weird guitar part in the chorus where he's yeah. like running up and down the neck of the guitar. That's Charlie Campbell playing while Chris Brady's singing.
Scoliosis, you mentioned there's that really cool interplay between the guitars and the drums in the verse. He's like switching between like a tom beat and then a regular beat for part of it, and the guitars are sort of like playing off of that. Again, that's Charlie Campbell playing the guitar and Chris Brady singing over top of it. Again, real. it's just, this band reminded me a lot of little bits and pieces of other bands. There was like a little bit of bit spill here with the guitar parts. There's a little bit of like Chavez on some of the weirder yeah. interplays between things. There was a little bit of like No Knife, and then I heard like a little bit of like that disjointed pavement sound one day in the future that reminded me a lot of a heat miser song and I, I it's i started diving into the lyrics a little bit and that particular one was kind of an interesting song because it's one day in the future but it's basically about the world ending his lyric at the end of the song goes what i really want to know is not how i'll go but why i also like the fact that he throws in the phrase plate tectonic forces which is not something you hear in a lot of rock songs <laughs> That's but, where you have to drive in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to imagine that uh, that's been used in a at the drive-in song at some point. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't pick up on the... That's interesting. I didn't pick up on the difference in the vocal. It sounded like the same guy, but just kind of singing in different you know, tones. But there is definitely something about uh, particular songs. The guitar seems to be freer and able to do more. Uh, and those tend to be the songs... I think they tend to be the songs that I like more. Um, mm-hmm. He does some pretty wild guitar stuff on here. I mean, there's oh, like yeah. all kinds of pitch bends and tremolos, weird tremolo things and warbly slide effects and slide guitar playing. I mean, and there's a lot of really interesting, bizarre, cool, sometimes maybe going too far, <laughs> you know, uh, guitar things going on on, the, on this record. It's 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 interesting from that standpoint for sure. Yeah, the um, the guitar on "You're Not a Seed" that slide reminded me a lot of Rick McCullum from the Afghan Wigs. That like crying, you know, kind of off key ish, almost kind of getting out of there, but but bringing it back in, sort of lead, very Rick McCullum of yeah. the Wigs. I hear what you're saying, like almost pushing it too far. I think all these songs that were are built around the a basic pop structure, 
you know, they never break out of like, you know, or, or take anything too long. I think the, the long, there's not a single song that's like over 420 on this album. They all tend to be like four, 420 or less. And they all tend yeah. to be like pretty tightly, compactly structured with verses and choruses and verses and choruses. So that even though there's a lot of weirdness within the guitar parts, and I think the bass stuff that you're mentioning, I think he's playing a lot of high stuff on the bass, yeah. which I, I think is where the accounting for not hearing it a lot because he's playing sort of in that Peter it, Hookish style like of you're missing of, it. It's not like you're like thinking it doesn't sound full enough or something. It's just, you know, as I'm analyzing the song, I'm like, Oh, what's the bass doing? And I'm like, well, I can't really tell what it, it's, is there a bass here? <laughs> it's not bassy. What's that? It's just not bassy. It's not, it's not as thick yeah. and as you'd expect especially from a not a grunge band they were from portland oregon so i don't necessarily lump them in with the with the grunge bands but a, a pacific northwest band you kind of associate them with having like a, a heavier bottom end and this mm-hmm. this album this particular sound of the on the bass it doesn't have that so right did you want to say like um all of a sudden it from a production standpoint it sounded more a little more straightforward and like just live it kind of goes back into more of a studio sounding record um, a couple tracks after that but like the beginning of the record sounds you know a little fuller a little bit more like produced maybe a little bit more overdubbed and you kind of go through scoliosis and one day feature and also when you get the twins it sounds a little different like all of a sudden it's it kind of was startling to me when i was listening to the headphones because you know, are these like demos or something? This is really strange sounding. And as I got into the song, it didn't sound as strange to me. But when they first started, I don't know. They just sounded like, uh, I don't know. I felt like I was like in their practice space or something. <laughs> like listening to, you know, a guitar amp blaring in my ear and a, and a drum kit right in front of my face. question i think one of the things with twins is that it's the first time where sort of a completely clean guitar takes the forefront and i think that it's mixed a little bit differently because it's clean yeah, yeah. and it jumps from clean to dirty from the verse yeah. to the chorus i think maybe that's what causes that like jarring sensation mm-hmm. other than that i don't i didn't really pick up on anything that was all that different i just i just made a note that that there was a clean guitar on that particular song that was a little bit different from a lot of the other album or the rest of the album. I think that's one of the things that makes this band so unique. Um, you mentioned Chavez and that was the band I thought of too. And I think there's a lot of similarities here in terms of how they're approaching their instruments and, you know, just the, maybe the core structures and, and that sort of thing that they're using, uh, phrasings, that kind of stuff, even vocally, it's, it's in the same ballpark, but 
the big difference is obviously Chavez is used a ton of overdrive and fuzz and distortion. Um, this band's not really using a ton of it. Um, no, it's actually a fairly clean guitar sound for a lot of record um, with some you know minor overdrive and some different interesting effects, but. Um, you know, it's not as distorted as you would expect a 90s record to be. And I think uh, that kind of what makes it, uh, you know, unique for me. You know, I think if they would have cranked it up more, it started to turn into something a little bit more like Chavez, a little bit more like Smashing Pumpkins or, you know, I'm not sure some of the distant things they're, they're doing would have worked the same with the extra layer of, you know, the added distortion on top either. So, you know, from that standpoint, just sonically, it's it's a pretty different sounding record. Another band it made me think of was it was Modest Mouse in terms mm-hmm. of you know more of a clean guitar sound with you know doing more things with pinching notes and tremolo and just kind of really pushing the idea of a you know a clean or you know just overdriven guitar. Yeah, that's why I mentioned band like Built to Spill and even like Alcohol Funny Car, which we reviewed in the first season, or Pretty Mighty Mighty from last year. There are parts where if you had over distorted them, they would have been a mess. But if you leave them clean or just like a little bit overdriven, then they're not as hard to listen to. Because I think sometimes you get so much distortion on it, it becomes either just a wash and you can't even hear what's really going on, or it becomes like grating. I think because they're smart enough to pull up, pull back on the distortion, it really makes a huge difference. I think that. You know, they're going for a particular aesthetic in in that, you know, pavement-y, built-to-spill end of the indie rock spectrum where it's cool to be kind of, you know, a lot of people don't give him credit, but um, Stephen Malkmus is a pretty good guitar player. A lot of that pavement stuff has some pretty cool guitar stuff. Obviously, built-to-spill is known for being a guitar band, but it's it's showy, but without being solo-based, I guess you'd say. It's all mm. more about, like, lots of riffs matched up with disjointed drums and picking and like you mentioned the tremolo and and uh just a lot of like dissonant weird stuff that kind of would work only works in that particular genre in in terms of you know if you tried to play if you try to do like you know doug marsh does on guitar but do it as in soundgarden that wouldn't work that that level of finesse that he plays with doesn't lend itself to a heavier band and i think you know i I can't remember what i know i've heard the first pond record but i can't remember if it's in the same vein or not i don't know if they you know sort of Uh, filter filter themselves down to this or if this was just more of an extension of what they were already doing i sampled it quickly it's on spotify Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, it struck me as just a little bit more of a typical sort of northwestern grunge sound there was tinges of this in it play in there, but nowhere near. I really got the sense of, of sampling that record quickly and the one after it that this is an evolution, this record is, of mm-hmm. of, of pushing the boundaries of, of that idea. Um, and, you know, just obviously there's a lot, of, there was some time, like a good amount of time here, just on note selection. Like, you know, what, what can I play on guitar? What can you play on bass that when we play it, together does something totally unexpected and different you know and, and, the, and the two there's just just really interesting like it's almost like uh magnets that are fighting against each other and you know it's like they kind of want to turn themselves and orient and become attached but at this point they're sort of pushing 
you know, in opposite directions. And there's just almost every song has moments like that where they just pick these notes to play and are ways to play them. And it's just like this, you know, this kind of strange, weird thing happens um, Mm -hmm. that's at times brilliant. And other times, you know, it makes your head spin a little bit. (laughs) So it kind of messes with you. You mentioned that you thought that after the first couple of songs that it's sort of, I think the first three or four, you thought it was a little choppy in the in the rest of the album. I actually thought, in terms of sequencing, this was one of the better albums that we've listened to because it did a good job of shifting things back and forth between slower and faster and mid-tempo and up-tempo that I never really got bored with the record. I was, you know, if it, especially because most of these songs were around three minutes long, that if I didn't particularly care for a particular song, we would, it would get to the next song and it would be totally different than the previous one even though you're connected by you know either the vocal or by the um you know the guitar work or what have you and i actually kind of liked the end of the album i don't know if what your opinion was of that but 14 and 15 are both untitled songs the first one is uh kind of a slow instrumental with some noise going on and then the track 15 is another instrumental song but it's basically just like a string kind of sample or or i'm not sure what's going on there and before getting into Ugly, which uh, is a quieter song uh, that Charlie Campbell sings, um, I, I kind of like those two instrumental tracks, and I like that they put them at the end. I read a little bit about the record, and they said that they had had this, you know, these pieces of music, and they wanted to use them on the record because they felt like musically they fit on the record, but in terms of the sequencing, they weren't just going to throw them in the middle of the record. So that's why they, they put them towards the end before that final song. Which is kind of nice because I don't know that those would have necessarily worked. I think it would have slowed things down in the middle of the record. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I, th- I agree with you on the sequencing up till track 10, Golden. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I do think it has a, a good float to it. You know, uh, there's some pockets in there where you may not like a particular song, but you feel like the next song could be back, you know, kind of get you back on track. And, and that, for me, it tends to happen. I think after after Golden, really the rest of the album is kind of, that point i've sort of had enough of this band kind of do weird experiments and you know rebury me it's just kind of like it's, it's a music bed with some like a weird overdub vocal thing that like two vocals that are right with it. it's kind of just you know obviously just a studio experiment and then filterless isn't bad i, I kind of like that song i really um, like that song it, it kind of explodes at like 130 into that song yeah it kind and kind i thought of that was pretty cool into this it's sort of kind of quiet Tom thing kind of evolves into this, you know, louder, more kind of plotting uh, song that I, I I like to put a bit, but I don't know. I mean, the the the, the studio tracks, the untitled tracks, they, you know, at that point, it's like God, I've heard so much stuff from this band at this point. Even though none of the songs are so long, there's just so much to take in. You know, it's not the kind of band where you know they're going to play the same the verse the same way twice. You know, they're going to throw stuff in and really push and pull and right uh by the time i'm getting to you know songs 14 to 50 i'm like okay let's you know wrap it up here and and ugly really didn't do much for me either so you know for me the end of the record starts meander and it it, it gets a little bit overindulgent for me i i I will admit i think this album is as you would say a grower and not a shower i think you gotta put in some time with this record because it is a little off-putting for if you're not used to as much weirdness that goes on with the guitars from song mm-hmm. to song. It's not immediately gratifying with the 
vocals. You kind of have to let those melodies sort of dig in with you and sort of bur- burrow into your brain a little bit, and then they'll sort of catch hold. Um, if they do, I think this record unveils a lot of really interesting things. And I think just from a guitar standpoint, if you can just listen to this record for the guitars, I think you're going to really find a lot of cool stuff and parts to grab onto. Whereas if you're looking for sort of more gratifying single pop, you know, hook oriented songs, it's not going to be your sort of cup of tea. I don't think I don't think it works in that way. So on that note, worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where are you at? Well, I like songs, <laughs> so I guess that's an album. Uh, and unfortunately, because there's 16 on here, that means I don't like you know, <laughs> right? Six or seven of them. I'm with you. I'm at the same number, nine songs. I think it's a worthy album as well. Uh, I don't know if we have the same nine songs, but I think there are really nine really strong tracks on this record. And I think they show off a wide variety and interesting array of cool guitar stuff from all, you know, everything you could do cool with a guitar. He's pretty much doing it without getting into like Eddie Van Halen finger tapping. Right. Uh, He's doing it without a ton of distortion and, you know, overdrive and stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And something else I think that's worth noting about this record is that, you know, I think a lot of times we've picked the debut albums or maybe second album and then kind of ended the show by saying boy it'd be interesting to see where this album where this band goes you know hey it was a good effort but if they kept evolving it you know maybe it turned into something interesting i feel like this band is you know the album that we picked is the evolved state of the band mm-hmm. you know so from that standpoint you know even though i didn't spend a ton of time with the earlier records i touched on them just enough to get a sense of like of that and can i think it helps make you appreciate you know this record even more because it feels like this is all on purpose. It's something that they've been honing and working on for quite a while. It's not just uh, something that happened. You know, three guys got together and this is what it sounded like. And it was like, right. oh, that's kind of cool. Okay, whatever. This is actually something that they, you know, probably put quite a bit of time into, you know, the sound, um, which is which is pretty, pretty cool. And it's interesting that after two albums on Sub Pop that they got signed to Sony either in 95 or 96, and got to put this record out. Because this is not what I was expecting. Expect either A, to get signed by, or B, this would be the record that they would make. You'd think they would make the more streamlined, big major label album. But this is a, I mean, this is an album that sounds like it should come out on Sub Pop. And yet it came out on a major label. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) That's very weird. I don't know how to describe, I don't know how to explain that. But we need to thank uh, David Weisberg for his suggestion. This is a really cool record i'm glad he introduced us to it because um i would not have listened to this without that suggestion so if you would like to make a suggestion dig me out podcast.com request a review page we list our uh upcoming reviews from requests on that page so you can see who el- what else people have requested and you can make your request through that page and uh i think that's it jay If you like what you heard, folks, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com. 
where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Two months back, you broke mama's back.